0: you given us that we might have joy on this journey I thank you, Father, that this earth is not our home. This is not our final destination, at least in the condition it's in. And we thank you, Father, for including us in your family, blessing us and helping us. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. 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 Well, I thought today I'd talk to you about um, some of the challenges of the age in which we live and and, uh, encouraging you to don't sell out. Amen. Don't sell out amen don 't sell out I uh, was moved i 've been following the story and I know many of you have as well about the Sudanese woman who was uh, sentenced to hang because of her faith in Christ and it just moves me to tears every time I think about How young she is. Her life is just starting. How much she has to lose. She's got one toddler already and just gave birth to another child. And how much is at stake for her? To make that stand in Christ, yet she did it without flinching. You know, the people around her are impressed with her her determination. She does it kind of like, you know, reminds you of the Hebrew boys. We're not even, we don't even need to think about this one. We've already made up our minds and counted the cost, and she's fully aware of the cost. Yet she considers. What she has in Christ is far more valuable, you know, and um, it just is a reminder to us that even though we feel that we're living free of so much of that, it's really at hand. It's not far away. And so, but one of the things that I think we, we should be more of in the body of Christ, we need to be more of the church. You be more of the church, more committed to the Lord, uh, more um, determined uh, to carry out the Great Commission, more determined to uh, do what we do for God. If it's doing the meetings, if it's making sure our equipment gets where it needs to get, you know, your tapes. uh, I I keep calling them tapes. I'm way behind. (laughs) You You know, duplicating and labeling CDs, taking the offering to the bank. Whatever it is that we do we have to be more determined to do it because I've noticed over the years that that's where people get drawn away. They get drawn away through resenting the commitment. See, there's the easy thing to do is resent commitment. And I think that's that's true in a lot of things, you know, in marriages. People start to resent the commitment. You know, how many times do people say, I just want my freedom. Well, I, I, I've i been married since I was so-and-so and such-and-such. So and, such. And, and, you know, they, it's a temptation and it's a lure. And that's what we, we need to understand about our life in God. That there's always some kind of lure to pull us off and to get us to sell out. And I don't think people just one day wake up and, and decide they don't want God anymore. I think it's been it's been—it's something that, that gets fed to them and, and something attractive about it. It's a temptation situation. And so um, uh, we're going to talk about that and in, in, in what it means to be committed and what that looks like. And so uh, that young lady is just a picture of it, and and she brings me to shame, to be honest with you, and I'm sure many, many people uh, that are serving God, and they look at something like that, and they think to themselves, you know, that's really... What it's all about. Who do you. When a when push comes to shove. And you're challenged. I mean seriously challenged. In your faith. Who are you going to, to serve. And what are you going to choose. And so, and so I think it's sobering for the church. I think our church has been drunk enough. On power and faith. And, and material things. And getting this and getting that. And I think it's really time to sober up. So in Second Thessalonians. In chapter 2. I'll show you what the word says about the times of the end, and uh, you know many many early Christians thought it was the end time when they were <laughs> they were <laughs> so. There's always uh, um, I, I would say evidence of the end, even though it's not the end. You know we never know when that time is. Nobody knows that exact time, but anyway, in Second Thessalonians uh, two. Starting in uh, verse 1, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, he's praying, he's pleading with them, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not so soon shaken in mind or troubled, so the first thing I believe that happens when people get drawn off is it get shaken in their minds or they're troubled by something. Is some The devil starts bugging them about something. Neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as the day of Christ is at hand. In other words, keep holding on because there's not much time left to have to hold on. He said, let no man deceive you. And this is a human being deceiving other human beings. See, that's where the enemy has his most power in the effect that we have on one another. He says, don't let, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called god or that is worshipped so that as god he sits in the temple of god showing himself that he is god and so my my thought about that is that there are People who will try and influence you as though they were God. Always allow people to make up their minds what they believe. Don't try to force or indoctrinate anybody. And try to con them or corner them. You know with your version of the truth. You understand or intimidate them into receiving your version of the truth. Allow people to pray about things. Allow them to hear from God for themselves. That won't hurt you. It doesn't hurt my feelings at all. If I give you a prophecy and and you don't you know think it's God, then you know pray about it. That's all I can tell you is is you know don't put anything on the shelf uh, unless you know you've prayed about it and you understand that it's not what God has for you. But very often those things are God and they're scriptural and they're consistent with God. And so if a person doesn't want you. To have the freedom to make that decision for yourself. That's a pressure that God would not put on you. God's not a God of pressure. He's a God of liberty. He's a God of freedom. He's a God of peace. And so he can peacefully allow you to have your own understanding of things. We need to understand that the evil one is tempting us with things that the world desires. And, and he, he kind of appeals to our carnal senses through what we hear and what we see. Now we have to understand that peer pressure has changed. The face of peer pressure has changed tremendously. Your peer group now comes to you through the media. It comes to you through the social network. It comes to you through all kinds of means. So it's not like you can choose the nice group of people at your job and you're safe. You know used to be Christians could make themselves kind of a little isolated from the world. Uh, you fellowship with other Christians. You kept your, your, uh, your friendships uh, kind of located in an area where you knew you you were of like mind, you were of like faith, and that group kinda supported you and held you up. But now the minute you leave the sanctuary you can turn on your radio and get bombarded with. So the peer group is it follows you. There's a different peer group that kind of follows uh, follows people. The things that, that children are exposed to. It's not just in school with with their little group of friends but it's everywhere it's in the cartoons you know used to be if something was animated you you just let your kid watch it because cartoons were for kids now they've got adult cartoons and and you know you got to sit there and figure out now what are they really saying here or there's there's a uh, a uh, Uh, family, so called family programming now and they've got people living together and and think it's cute and, and all of this kind of stuff. So the world is pressing in on us but you need to fix it in your heart and your mind that the world has nothing you desire. Got it? Everything that you need and desire comes from God, comes from His kingdom. Now you might see replicas and pictures of what you want down here, but the real thing that God has for you has yet to be revealed to you. He sends what you are supposed to have fresh to you from heaven and he, he reveals that to you uh, and, and he lets you know that he is looking out for you. He's your provider, He's your help. He's always looked to God. God is, and then too, as believers, we are in covenant with a God of high standards. High ideals and ideas behaviors high morals Uh, our God is not tolerating anything less than what he finds companionship with see if, if you're not fit for God's company he empowers you to be fit. You got me? So he doesn't have to fellowship and pal up with things that are lesser in character than what he, if he doesn't like it, he'll make it over like he does with all of us. And so we have to understand that God is not a God of compromise. He's not an immoral God. He loves everybody, but love always elevates. Always. Love never leaves you in worse condition than you were when you found it. You got me. I mean, that's that's just true, man. You know, it just it's true on so many levels. You know, when I got married, I I was so I was on cloud nine because I felt that finally somebody values me. It, it, it that elevated me. Marriage never made me feel worse. Well, at one point it did, but you know, when it was threatening to be over. But I always felt good about myself. Because when somebody wants to commit to you, that validates you. How much more so that we've been validated by God. You understand what I'm saying? This is something that's real, folks. And I'm sure that's what this young woman must feel. You know, she didn't want to throw that away. She felt so validated by the love of God and so elevated in esteem that nothing else was... Oh, I don't even have to think about this one. Really? You mean I'm going to renounce the God who is eternal and will take me to heaven right away? You can hang me if you want to, but I'm going to heaven right away. Got it? I'm going to turn that in for this old dead Muslim thing that doesn't have any life in it and it's fictitious and you know they, nobody likes that life they just tolerate it because it's fear based and so you know we we need to understand that we live in such a high realm with God just abide there in the goodness of living in the higher realm with God because he has so validated us by his he lives in us my goodness how much more can we want and yeah, you know, it bugs me. I see Christians who have all that in God, and I'm thinking maybe they just think they have God and don't really have him. You, you understand what I'm saying? To turn, to turn their backs on the, the heavenly gift, the things of higher life, the things of heaven, and sell out for some carnal base things, you know. Just let the devil get too much of their attention too long, too often and move on off with that you know if if we would live in that realm there wouldn't be any any you know sin in the pulpit there wouldn't be any suicides among leaders and and all that kind of stuff or their children if we would live in that realm with God that's provided for us that thing's provided for you it's not something you gotta you gotta be 100% perfect in everything you do it's already been imparted to us we just need to tap into it more and dwell there and see that keeps you from selling out the more sold and invested you are in God the less you got to sell out to the devil with you got me you just stay invested in God so the world presses in on us like never before and it's getting more and more difficult to separate ourselves from evil because it just keeps pressing in it's everywhere sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's more blatant sometimes the devil just Reveals himself because he wants to to make a show of himself. You look on television now. The people who are quote unquote helping people are now into witchcraft. You got psychics that are helping people. And you know the same show that will show Christians on television in a reality show will show psychics on the same channel. They just don't discriminate. So it's the water gets muddied. It gets muddied sometimes. The the subtle ties draw us uh, up with deceitfulness of riches and the other things of this life that press in on us. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Be careful what you're waiting for and how you're waiting for it. Because waiting can enrich your relationship with God. Think about the fact that if you're waiting for something, if you're waiting with God, versus if you're waiting and you feel. Lack, loss, you're waiting in the flesh. you just longing for it. Oh, I'll be glad when it... That's not waiting with God for anything. When you're waiting with God, your life is full. You have the fruit of the Spirit to dine on. You have the presence of God. You have the opportunity to worship Him and be fulfilled and not even know you're waiting on anything. I didn't know about waiting until I got around believers sometimes. You know, I get in my house and, you know, this was before church people corrupt your mind. You know, sometimes your biggest challenge will come from them. It's true. You know, there's there's problems within, without, around, all of that kind of stuff. But I just enjoyed being with God. And, and to be honest with you, I was kind of upset when the honeymoon was over, you know, to a degree. Because then you've got to... Take what he's imparted to you and let him start to employ it. And that's always in the realm with other believers. That's where the real challenge is. You understand me? If it's just you and God and in your own little world and he's showing you things, you can wait forever for stuff, to be honest with you. You know, my husband was saved and I didn't even know he was saved. It took somebody coming from out of town to snap me. Oh, yeah, that is right. <laughs> you know... And years ago, it was oh, it was killing me. Oh, the, oh, just depends on who's in the waiting room with you. You got the eternal God waiting with you. So if you're you're in Him and He's in you, time is not even a factor. You don't even recognize that time has gone by. And we need to learn how to stay in that place. Again, I know we've been there. I know we've gotten busy with things that God gave us to do. But we need to keep that place as a sanctuary for us. Where we can abide there. We can know, Ooh, it's getting rough out here. God, let me come into my sanctuary and <laughs> give myself Right, you have an inner sanctuary, you have a holy place inside of you, and there's no veil folks let's get these veil songs out of the veil was rent from top to bottom. There have been a veil since Jesus was raised up. Come on now, so let's get this get this stuff right. come on now you know people we we do some goofy things I mean that people will find a scripture and make a song out of it and have no revelation whatsoever. On the scripture then just sing it. It's so backwards and now we we I thought the veil was torn and we were already in the holy the holy one lives in you. What more do you want? I mean he stripped the the temple of everything and made you the temple now. How'd you get a veil in there? Ay I don't get it. I don't get it. I look looking somebody was talking about you're next in line for a miracle. I didn't know there was a line. Is there a waiting? Is it? now come on, y'all. Is there a waiting line for miracles here? Oh my goodness! If that's if really, is that the way you think God treats His kids? He puts us. My mother didn't have a line, and a lot, a lot of times we didn't have a lot to eat. But we all sat around the table. At one time, there was no line to see who got to eat next. See, subtleties. See? Subtleties. And you get you start feeding on this stuff and you don't discern. You don't discern that it's not scriptural. That's not right. That doesn't make sense. There's something wrong there. Even if you like that person, you can't like what they're putting out right now because it's not good food. It's not for you. It's not scriptural. Amen. So these subtleties draw us up with deceitfulness. There's something that appeals to us. They press in on us. We have a desire sometimes to identify the world with the world in some way. You know, I see a lot of times our younger people, in, you know, music, especially some some uh, Christian rap music and what they call worship music, and now Christian contemporary. Uh, you know, the uh, I, I said. Uh, I think it was Shannon. I sent you to that thing where the guy told everybody to (laughs) take their shoes off, his holy ground, and they start flinging their socks around in (laughs) worship. This went on for like ten minutes. I said, "Is anybody tired yet?" And they just and I'm thinking to myself, you know, this stuff has got to stop now because if you're in the temple of God to worship him, if you're in the house of God for worship, let's not turn it into some kind of a free for all and call it praise. See, because if God's not the center of it. And God's word is not being put into the minds and the ears and the hearts of the people you've gathered in vain. Yeah. So let's just quit this nonsense and, and do what God wants us to do. But it's easy to get over into the realm of just entertaining. Because people, oh God, you know, God's been, I've been praying for God to, you know, uh, open more doors and do this. And they're so excited about, it, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, when I get an open door, I got to work. I got to pray, I got to prepare, I got to talk to God. I get, you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's, it's good that he opens doors, but come on, let's not get all wound up about it. They need to have some open doors like Paul had open doors, you know, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's a great open door. Many adversaries, and they, in fact, they beaten me right now. You know what I'm saying? So we got to get beyond this play level, the shallow. Playing in the play water with God, folks. And those of us who, who have experienced the depths of God and want to continue, stay in the depths. Don't come out and play with these this nonsense. You you know better. So let's keep moving. So the things that, that we can attach ourselves to and get drawn away, the material of this world, we need to know to make our requests known to our Father. You have needs. You have desires. You like the finer things. That's great because God only has things things. Got me? And so these things that that we desire can actually be a lure back into the world. Sometimes the things that you're believing God for, if they don't come quickly enough, you will pick up your own ways of obtaining those things. And they'll come with sorrow. If God doesn't give them to you, they will come with sorrow. You got me? The Bible is clear about that. The blessings of the Lord make us rich and he adds absolutely he'll add joy he'll add peace he'll have contentment he'll add his fruit with it but he won't add the fruit of the world with that and so that's the one thing that that will cause us to be drawn off is the anxiety that we carry often for the things that that we desire most people fall away and uh, because of the pride of life there's something they want middle remember in our last teaching we talked about shame and how that and see the other thing that covers shame is pride you know people come with a pride of life thing to cover up their shame it's the same fig leaf and so sometimes people will think they're waiting on I don't care what it is a big ministry more open doors get on television we finally got on television you know that kind of thing you can make a big deal out of of it and crave it so much in the flesh that it will almost destroy your life. So people will, will get caught up in, the, in pride of life and put the gospel on the back burner instead of putting it in the forefront. You always keep your work for God in the forefront of your life and everything else is back burner. You understand me? Every year I get a, a, a invitation from my mom's family to come down to the family reunion. You know, and I just haven't felt released to go. You know, it would be wonderful to go. It would be wonderful to see everybody for a minute. You know, it's, You know how it gets. You it's like in one day you can go through, say hi to everybody, and you know that kind of thing. (laughs) It's just that way. Now, things of God, I can stay in that. I can go to conference and stay there for four days and wish I, and at the end of the fourth day, I'm sad because we got to shut everything down. So, you know, you know you're in your element when you're in that. That's That family thing is, they're, they're good people. I love them, but that's not my element. It's not my home. So I, I have to gauge my time there to be short time. And so we have to keep that in the forefront. Never put God, the work for God, anything that you do for God in the back seat of your life. Always keep it in the driver's seat in front because that's where you're headed. You're headed for more of that and that's the big payoff in your life is what you do for God. This other stuff is is okay in its place but your big payoff is what you do for God. So in, in, in talking about not selling out and talking about being committed. I was looking at um, the Apostle Paul, and in Romans chapter one, I'll show you some his his attitude about his life, you know, his his attitude was is, is so important to look at that and try to cultivate winning attitudes. You know, there's nothing wrong with a, a you know, comparing yourself to these great people you see in the Bible because what made them great was their commitment to God. Their great God made them great. So in Romans chapter 1 in verse uh we we'll start in, in verse thirteen. He says, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was not let to do it. I was not released to do it, that I might have some fruit among you also. Even as among other Gentiles, so Paul looked at the world as his harvest, as his uh, as his field that he had to cultivate and bear fruit there, and he's looking at not. Not coming to them as a friend, not coming to them, uh, you know because oh, I like you and I like your ministry, and so, but he 's looking at the work that he does, Jesus, this, this is principle in his life. He says, "I want to sow over there where you are in your church, because I want to have some fruit to come forth from that. See, this is what we work for, folks; we work for the fruit." Of our seeds that we sow, we work for it. We want to have fruit coming uh, in the day when God rewards us, and in this life also, we want to have fruit that remains. That's that's our purpose here. It's to bear eternal fruit for God. And so Paul desired to come there. He said because I realize I haven't sown much there, and I want to have some eternal fruit to come there. And he does finally get to Rome, but you know he's still. On a hunt. This is, this is his mindset. He wants to have fruit. He says even as among other Gentiles. And he says I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me is I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He stayed ready. Why he says, because I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ now we know that there was an apostle that when he got around the the uh, the Jews he would try to be circumcised and get back under the law and stuff. See when you compromise to appease man that's your shame. you got me, and so Paul blatantly declared I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ why because there's so much power in it it does so much good for people it's if why could why would you ever be ashamed of anything that could produce what this gospel produces and he says it's the power of God unto salvation are you kidding me this is an eternal lifeline for people This is something that they can't just buy from anybody. This is something that's rare and unique. I'm not ashamed. In fact, I'm proud of it because this is something to be glad about and you know at all times we should be glad of the fact that we can offer eternal life to people we should be glad of the fact that we can stop the the you know the funeral procession from proceeding we can be, should be glad of the fact that we can stop mental torment and anguish among people we should be glad about that and he says It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he says for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith. And he says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in uprightness. So then God is able to do more through our preaching of the gospel than any detriment that would come to us from speaking up for God. I know when I lead somebody Christ or I pray for somebody, I'm like on top of the world. And that feeling has never changed over more than 30 years. I still feel on top of the world and humbled because God would use me. Got me? You don't have to create open doors and force doors open. I wish I could get that through to people. I really do. I mean I mean, and I think we should do more to ready ourselves and pray and expect God to use us more. Now that's always something that I know I could do but I know that there's nothing to be ashamed of in serving God. But the devil will try and make us feel small the first thing he'll do is accuse us of not being able to you? Mean you You can't do this you can't do that that's the way the enemy sees life in God as a a series of no-nos instead of permission to live righteously and to make eternal impact on this earth who can you who do you know that's able to to make such an impact in your life that it will carry over after you die. Most of the good things that even the do-gooders do won't take you over into eternal life. And won't be everlasting things. They won't be a permanent empowerment in your life either. They come and they go. And so this is something that we have to feel good about. That we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We're just who we are. But God has decided to pour his treasure into us and we need to live out of that treasure instead of looking at and longing through a, a glass window we can't get on the other side of it for something that the devil tells us we can't have but God's given it to us freely already. See the great deception. It's a great deception because frankly you and I can have anything we want. Yes. Anything. God is not withholding anything to those who walk upright before him. But see your uprightness in God causes you not to desire and crave things because you're fulfilled already. So that's the great stopper right there that stops you from getting stupid because you know that there's only so far you want to go. To get what you need in this life. You know, in fact you don't need anything from the world. You, we're so filled in God. All he wants us to do is to show that to other people. Be willing and ready to show it to other people. And so there were three things that Paul did here. The Three things that were consistent in his heart. In his attitude. That I think we can pull out of this scripture. Number one he says that I am indebted to preach the gospel. He says I'm in debt to these people that I'm, I'm going I'm preaching to pay off a debt because I could never save myself I could never uh, get the revelation on my own and Paul tried. He was a good jew he was he was studied, he was learned, but when he ran into Jesus, a whole new world opened to him that had never been opened to him before, and so so much so was he appreciative, he always considered him to himself to be God's bond servant I'm his ambassador in chains, and he was not ashamed of his chains he was he was glad to be whoever he was in God, whatever God sent him to do, you know he had his times of being weary, you know, if you run from town to town and get beaten everywhere you go and arrested everywhere you go, you get a little tired of it. But, you know, he was able to get himself to a place where he could declare that. So he says, I am indebted. So that's that's one aspect or one point that we'll look at. The other point that he says in verse 15, he says, I am ready to preach. He says, I am indebted to do it and I'm ready to do it. And he says, number three he says, I'm not ashamed. If we can stay indebted, many people think it's an option. You know, everything in God's an option. You come to church, optional. Get committed, optional. If witness to somebody, optional. Give your money, optional. Everything's optional. But it's not. We are indebted because you carry inside of you. A life that other people need, That's right. and the Bible says that to him who is, if you're able to help somebody and you withhold it, yes, you're not to withhold. If you're in a position to help someone, or you're in a position to to lend to somebody, or to give, or to help them out of their difficulty, you're you're not in favor with God if you withhold good when it's in your power to do it. Yes. So when we withhold sharing Christ, when we withhold going out witnessing, when we withhold all these things, uh, it's not right. You're, You're empowered to do good and you're withholding it from somebody. See, When you know you're indebted with the gospel, God didn't just save you so you can go on your merry way. The Holy Ghost is pulling inside of us all of the time to get us in the right spot so that we can share the goodness of God with somebody. He's doing that all the time. Get you in the right place so that you can share the goodness of God with someone. You can be his witness. And it's an honor to be a witness. It's an honor to be chosen to be in a place where God can use you because he trusts you. You're not going to flake out on him. Amen. And have excuses all the time. Or have something else more important to do. And that's why a lot of our more importance fall apart. Because we start using them as excuses to not pay off this debt. We're indebted to God. Come on now. This isn't some option. This isn't an option for you. And see, when we need the fruit to bear some blessing in our life, it's not there. See, you're going to need these seeds to come up in righteous fruit in your life. And you want that to be there when at that time. You, know, you don't want to be short on blessings you need from God. Because you want your life to flow smoothly. And it does by recognizing the indebtedness that we have to preach the gospel. So Paul's indebtedness, he was assigned to the Gentile primarily but he, he would witness to the Jew you know that that was his assignment so if we are to pay off this debt we must know our assignment from God you must know your assignment and I believe there's so many people running around looking for stuff to do and trying to make up a ministry or make up a life for themselves because they've never spent enough time with God to know what their assignment is. In everything, we have a general assignment and we have a specific assignment. Your general assignment <coughs> comes and uh, is specified in Mark sixteen, seventeen through eighteen. We know it by heart, and we're going to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Many of us can't even remember the last time we shared Christ with somebody. It's because you have not because you ask not. We need to be asking constantly. God put me in the path of somebody. Draw somebody here. Show me somebody. Where are they Lord? I'm looking for them. I hope you're looking for them. See you're quiet because you need this. See you need this. Because we always need. Why do you think people gather together every week twice a week for church? So that we can be empowered to go out and do good. So that we can be stirred up to go out and do good. So that we can be reminded what we're here for. Instead of being bogged down by what we don't have. If you don't have it, why are you worrying about it? But what you do have is a treasure in your earthen vessel. That you can draw from at any time. You can you can ask God to put people in your path, and, and if you are friendly to people, you know, yeah. just the basics. Yeah. Say hi to somebody. Amen. You go in their place of business, find out something about them. You know, see. Oh, yeah. You know, is that your that's your brother? That's your cousin. That's oh, looks like you. Oh, really? Not not related. Well, how about that? You know, <laughs> whatever. You know, uh, uh, engage people. As a human being. And then God shows up on your words. Trust me, He shows up on your words. It's not like you got to have a little pamphlet in your hand and be ready to. You just, He called you to be you. And trust me, who you are is sufficient to get the job done. You're always sufficient to get the job done. So you don't have to try extra hard. Just be you. Wherever you are, be you in God. You got me? So in, in, in Mark 16 and 17, though, comes kind of with a time limit because the end will come. You got me? So that really puts the believer into a, a somewhat sense of urgency. You know, there's somewhat of a sense of urgency. And it's not because we think the end's going to come in our lifetime, but whenever there's a time limit on something, you got me? We, we perceive that. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, even though the end, say, the early church perceived that same pressure to get it done. Because we knew that we would only be able to preach the gospel until the end comes. And so when you know there's going to be an end of something and you don't know where it is, you'll feel that urgency off and on. Because I feel the urgency sometimes to to talk to people and to share Christ with people and to get those words out. You know, sometimes those words will come out kind of explosive and a little clumsy sometimes because there's a time limit on the preaching of the gospel we're not going to be able to do it out until eternity we can only do it until the end of this age and so it's the same thing that the Jews felt the ones who were waiting on the Messiah and recognized him were the ones who understood that there would come a time when he would show up the ones who didn't recognize and felt oh yeah we've heard that before you got me there's always going to be people who say ah oh, we've heard that before he's not coming and so they do Waste time, they lollygag, they do what they were doing before. Why? Because they don't know, you know, the foolish and the wise virgin story. The, the wise ones always sense his coming. You got me? They sense his presence watching, they sense his either approval or disapproval of their behavior. We sense that because we have a sense of an assignment here. Not we're just here and everything's optional. It's not optional. You don't want it to be optional when it comes to saving your loved ones. You don't want it to be optional when it comes to getting you that job or that promotion that takes way too long. You don't want it to be optional for God to do anything for you. And why do you think we can consider it optional and then expect his best at the same time? It's not going to work like that. It's not going to work. Many times people don't expect much from God because they don't invest much in it. See. You can't you can't it can't work that way. You can't have great faith and not be invested greatly in God. You can't have it. And so when it, when when we understand that we are assigned here, you came to this earth for such a time as this to carry out an assignment in God. If you never get a quote unquote specific assignment, you got a general one and that general assignment that will come a time when we can't do that anymore. Jesus said you got to work the works of him who sent you what? while it's day. Cuz the night's going to come and nobody can work. You got me? So while it's day, it's day in your life now. It's daytime. You can go you can see clearly, you can hear from God, you can ask for opportunities. That's your day. So you go out and work for God while it's day. Because there will come a time. This will come to an end, folks. It will come to an end. And so when we know the end is coming, when this gospel of the kingdom is preached to everybody, and then the end will come. So we're not sitting around now because we haven't preached it. Have you preached it to everybody? You know, there are Christians who do studies on. Have we preached the gospel everywhere? I don't know, but your neighbor is dying right now. Why are you worried about what, how many countries the gospel has been in yet? You don't even know how to interpret that correctly. As long as you have the unction to share Christ, it's not the end yet. You got me? As long as the Holy Spirit prompting you to pray for somebody and to encourage somebody, it's not the end yet. So, so this debt that we have, we're indebted to preach. It comes with an assignment. It's a general assignment and then it's a specific assignment. This will cost you your pride. It's a good thing Paul added he wasn't ashamed because fulfilling your assignment will cost you your pride. You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to be looked at by people uh, in, in your carnality. They'll look at you in the flesh and assume certain things about you and you'll feel it but you still got to go forward in god in the name of the lord because you know god sent you sometimes people don't want to receive from a female sometimes they don't want to receive a person that's a different color but you you can't be ashamed and shrink back because you perceive their judgment on you you've got to Plunge forward. There's an anointing to break through all of that. There's an unction to break through that wall of shame and that wall of, of doubt and pulling back and, and anxiety. And should I have said that? Should I not have said that? All that stuff. There's a wall to push through all of that. And it comes when you boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just to share what he's done for you. You don't have to be exotic. Just tell the truth on yourself. That's what Paul did. Everywhere he went, he talked about who he was, what he'd done, and how God had changed him. That's your strongest, your strongest testimony is your personal testimony. You don't have to go anywhere and get scholarly on people and drop names on people and all that. You meet them where they are, just like God met you where you were. That's where he wants to do. So the pull of that debt... Let's us know that we don't have a choice of not sharing Christ with the world. You don't have a choice. Whenever you're in debt, it, debt bugs you. You got me? The, the knowledge that you have something in you that's precious It's not yours. It belongs. It's under the control of somebody else. It really belongs to somebody else. That's Letting you know that you don't have any say in what that gift does, what that anointing does. You don't have any say in that. You're obligated and indebted. I can tell you this. The more you operate in it, the stronger it gets on you and the more confining it is on your life. The more it, it gears and controls your life. You don't control it anymore. Many times people are looking for more power in God. I say, well, why don't you use what you got? You know, use what you have and he'll give you more. That's just a standard of God. And so it's not more anything that we need. It's putting to use what we do have. That's always the answer. So the pull of that debt lets us know that we don't have a choice of not sharing Christ with the world. And we know that we must. Preaching is a type of insurance against selling out. You stay invested heavily in God. And the devil won't be able to get your attention too much. You got me? Be doing it for the glory of God. Be doing it because you're indebted to fulfill an assignment. Feel obligated to do these things. Not just optional or I'll skip it this time because I got something more pressing. You don't have anything more pressing. You don't know it, but you don't have anything more pressing. That that eternal debt that's in you, that somebody's life could be changed forever by your words... They can come out of hell and go to heaven by your words. You got me? You've got to learn how to speak up and say the right thing. We run our mouths about stuff all the time. I don't get it. About nonsense. We'll argue with people about, you know, just our intellectual prowess. And I'm so intellectual today. I'm just, my head is just hurting. It's, I have so much knowledge. It's, I can barely hold it up. Let me share some of it with you. Get real. You're not here for that. Get real. You should be dead to that already. should be dead to that already. So we have preaching. Is, I'm going to say it again. It's a type of insurance against selling out. Sharing Christ with people is a type of insurance against selling out. You share what you know. What he's done. You don't share about things that you haven't accomplished yet. Got me? Gets you into trouble. People get, uh, you know, if, so what if you, you don't have your finances all in order? He's done something for you. You're going to not share Christ because there's something you think is lacking in your life? Get real. <laughs> Keep living. There's going to be other stuff you don't have and you're waiting on. We don't talk about that. The person that's out there needing a drink of water, you give them water. huh? They need your water. They don't need your what I didn't get from God. They don't need your complaint. They need your faith and your confidence in God. What are you confident about God in? What is it that you know about God that you can't be shaken off of, that you can share with somebody? That's where you go. That's the bread basket for them. And trust me, everybody's in need of it. They may look haughty and may look like they don't care about anything. But trust me, everybody, you know, (laughs) in the words of Miss Dionne Warwick, What the world needs now. (laughs) Huh? (laughs) Absolutely. And you have the love of God. The gospel is the greatest show of the love of God. That anybody can give to another human being. So don't be stingy with it. Don't be stingy. So you have a specific assignment. Your gift, your calling, all of that will will further specify your assignment in God. What gift do you have? What ability that you have that God's given you? Use it for Him. That's part of your assignment too. The assembly of believers that God assigns you to. Yes, you are assigned to an assembly. You don't just go where you want to go and wander around. You are assigned somewhere. You know, God has a family. You don't go to your neighbor's house and eat breakfast and then go to the other one and eat lunch and eat dinner. Show up someplace different every time you have a meal. You go go downstairs to your table. In your house where you live. This is nonsense. Well, I just haven't been able to find. Well, maybe you need to start looking. Instead of just roaming, start looking. Just like you're assigned to a family of God. You're assigned to fit in with a family of believers. Your assignment is, your job is part of your assignment. Your indebtedness, you are indebted to them crazy people you work with. You're in debt to give God to them. You're obligated to give God to those people. Well, they seem to know more about God than I do. Well, you get in your Bible and start learning some more. Or something, but you're indebted to share Christ. There's something that somebody is lacking in your atmosphere that you need to share with them. You got me? We come in here to get filled up and then we go out and then we share what god's given us on the outside. You don't need to prophesy to anybody in here you don't need to lay hands on anybody in here you don't you understand me Amen. so when we are invested in God, we will have we have we have uh um, we are not lacking in what we have to offer to the world. See, the more you're invested in God, you're not lacking in anything. Don't let the devil tell you you can't do certain things. You're not lacking in anything. That's what the gifts of the Spirit are for. You believe God will give you a word of knowledge to help you to understand how to pray for somebody or help you to, to be able to talk to someone, then then that's that's all you need, folks. The assurance that God is with you. When God is our focus, the world has a hard time tempting us. A hard time. Things that we desire and lack will always be a temptation. So commit those things to God. Early. Commit them to God. Don't try to work your own voodoo to get them in in your possession. It's hard to hold on to things in your own strength. So we are indebted on all fronts. So there is a must do. There is a general and there is a specific assignment must do a call on our lives. And fulfilling that call will keep you busy. You don't need anything else to be called to. You got me? You know is people would come up to I can remember back in the days they were, oh, I'm called would call and they were called to do something different every two weeks. You know, uh, it was whatever they did, was what they to- told you they were called to. What'd you do? Oh, yeah, mom called to so and so. And I said, okay. You understand what I'm saying? People sometimes have no understanding of what's needed and what's, what's pre- prescribed and required in their call. Don't be afraid to step out. In part of your assignment is that call to fearlessness to do what God's called you to do. Point number 2 that Paul stressed here is that he was ready. He was ready to preach the gospel. Was ready. He stayed ready. How do you ready yourself for the things that God has for you? How do you how do you ready yourself? One of the things that I know is is daily prayer and daily reading of his word, just meditating on his word. Uh some of the most of the, the uh, Bible through the Bible um, uh, schedules, you know, the little schedules they set up for you if you want to read through the Bible in a year is about four chapters of Bible reading per day. And that's pretty good because it's enough time spent in the word to stir up your spirit, to stimulate you, to get you to thinking on God. And once you're stirred up, then this exchange takes place. God begins to start a conversation with you on the inside of you where he begins to feed you on a continual basis. Sometimes as you as you settle into a life with God, it's good to start a schedule of time to meet with God. Now, when I was a new Christian, it was like I, I nobody had to tell me to go read my Bible. But once I started getting to do other things for God, you have to have a little bit more structure, I think. So the structure really has helped me. I, I know I tell people I've tried to finish the Bible for I don't know how many times and quit. But this time, I'm not quitting because I know I need the structure. You see what I'm saying? No more excuses. I need the structure. And so when, once you have that structure, God has a consistent appointment to meet with you. And he's able to meet with you. So part of your readiness is your routines and your preparations in studying the word. Spending that time focused on nothing but the word. No TV. No music in the background. No nothing. Just that pierce that silence uh, that you get yourself locked into uh, between you and God. And just pierce it with the word. Just thinking sometimes out loud. Paul said also in 1 Corinthians fourteen eighteen, he says, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than all of y'all. You got me? He was correcting the church and their excesses and praying in tongues. And he says, well, I thank God I pray in tongues more than all of y'all. He got much revelation from his speaking in tongues or praying in tongues because the Bible says it edifies your spirit man. So it increases the capacity of your spirit man to receive revelation. To receive understanding, to receive uh, um, direction from God, not just in ministry but in your personal life and the things that that are dear to you, uh, it's it's good to understand that praying in tongues edifies, builds you up, is able to increase you in that. So it's good to pray in tongues on a regular basis, and I realize. After many years of, you know, praying in tongues here, praying in tongues there, I said, you know, I need to have a time where I just sit and focus on praying in the Holy Ghost, allowing God the time to speak to me, and then interpreting what he's telling me you understand if he gives me an interpretation so I think the structure and the discipline is very very important in your readiness and I believe that if we would stay ready God would use us more this readiness this discipline and this structure uh, has to be there you know Jesus often would go off to solitary places and pray and so even though he Was not, um, you know, weak to the flesh like we are. Still, he had to have that time with the Father. So, you know, it can't be done on the fly all the time. I remember, you know, being a housewife and just getting started in ministry. I, it wasn't a problem with me to, to pray in the spirit for half hour at a time or an hour at a time or something like that. But then he get busier in the work of the ministry. And so the busier you are, the more structure you will need. And so he was ready. He readied himself by praying in the Holy Ghost. And he he was always on his way somewhere to to preach the gospel. In Acts twenty you'll see an example. Let me see. Paul was very zealous about the things of God. Let's see what I wrote down there. Twenty verse eighteen, I think it is. Verse seventeen, and from Miletus he sent to he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came unto Asia. After what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Serving the Lord with all humility of mine. And with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. So Paul is sharing his testimony about his readiness and his ability and his zeal. Even under pressure to do the right thing and to stay right before God. See he did, he was not without Temptations, pressures, all of those things. But somehow his mind didn't drift off to try and protect himself. But he stayed ready and he stayed zealous. This is his attitude toward his assignment, folks. Is that he he was, was... Even though he was beaten and he was uh, turned upside down many times. He was chased out of cities. People would plot against him. There were some men that were under a vow. They weren't going to eat until they killed him. All that kind of stuff. I mean that's pressure folks. And he says in verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. In other words, I didn't shortchange. I didn't think about myself. I didn't, if God told me to stay there five days and they started persecuting me on day one, I managed to stay there five days. I didn't shortchange or hold anything back. He says, and how I kept back nothing but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. See, Paul wasn't the kind of apostle who had to have a private jet. In a a custom house or anything like that. I mean I really don't see how we get from here to where we are now. To be honest with you folks. I mean it's really a travesty when you think about it. It doesn't even come out of the same faith. The same level of faith. And he says I testify both to Jews and also to Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So I didn't water down the message. I didn't tell homosexuals that they could be in church and receive communion and receive the sacraments no matter how they lived. So I didn't water it down. He says, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. Still with that understanding that he's indebted. the The gospel has him shackled. He said, I'm bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide with me. So he says, I know every time I step into a city, there's going to be more stuff. Come in my way. He said that's what I have to look forward to. I don't have a nice hotel to look forward to. I don't have hot and cold running water and running everything to look forward to. But I have bonds. I have afflictions. I have those things to look forward to. He says and, and God lets me know that's my fate. And I don't try to shrink back from it. So the hard life folks is the gospel life. Your faith is not validated by the excess of your possessions. It's not validated at all by the. By the uh, number of your possessions, how many you have, and all that kind of stuff, it has nothing to do with anything. That's your choice to live that way. But Paul chose to stay on his assignment. He chose to stay ready when he stepped off of a boat, or he stepped. He he went first, found out exactly where he was to go to start preaching the gospel. If there was a synagogue there, he went to the synagogue and began to share with them. If there was a house meeting, he went to the house meeting. If there was nobody there to meet him, he got just went in the public square and began to preach and began to share Christ. And so his assignment was so much a part of his life, it never departed from He and his assignment were one. And he stayed ready because he understood how important it was to share that gospel everywhere that he went. In Acts 13. In Acts chapter 13. He didn't have sabbaticals. I don't see anywhere where he had to go somewhere because the pressures were too much for him. See when you trust God to keep you. You'll have your rest. You'll have your, you know. You just get on to the next place that you're going to, and let God take care of the rest that you need. You do, This is this is nonsense that we see people. Oh, you know, pastor committed suicide. And did you read that? that you know most pastors and and uh, and their wives are are are. Uh, there's thirty nine percent. Um, uh, dissatisfaction with their jobs because well how can you be dissatisfied and then tell somebody about it you're dissatisfied tell God about it he can help you somebody taking a poll is no help to you it just makes it harder for people who are, are borderline or teetering on the edge to find that there's any hope for them and so they just go and quit sometimes it's good because many of them were never called you don't see many people with this attitude about sharing Christ anymore. You just don't see it. So in Acts chapter 13 and verse 8, you see he is readiness to preach and his readiness to deal with the things that you have to deal with as a minister. There was a sorcerer named Elymas... It withstood them seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Now Paul had already preached to some of these people. And people were being converted. So here's this sorcerer telling the people not to believe. Now if you think people like. The Long Island medium and all the other psychics are really not a threat. You know, you don't feel to pray against them or you don't feel to stop that while it's in the small stages. Look at what it could grow to if it really gets to that point. And so we're looking at beginning stages of things. Paul lived in the fruit of it, the outpouring of it. And he says and he's seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. So this is a guy that Paul's converted and this sorcerer's come and telling him not to believe anymore he says then Saul who is also called Paul filled with the Holy Ghost there's your readiness folks stay filled with the Holy Ghost get the doubt out of your mind get the fear off of you get the the uh, desire to not do anything to shrug your shoulders and move on get that off of you and he was filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him, and He said, "O oh, you full of subtlety." In all mischief, you child of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to pervert the ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed this is the bottom line is that that person god cares so much about the people that you share christ with he will make sure that whatever you seed you sowed in there stays. This man believed. He saw the power of this source of reverses, the power of God, and he saw this man's trying to influence me, and he doesn't even know his way around. I think I'll stick with what I have, I'll stick with God. And so, this readiness has to be a readiness not only to share the gospel with people, but to reinforce what you've shared with them. You've got to go back and if necessary, do it again. This is a woman that we've been praying for, uh, uh, Noah's cousin, Alicia. She had gotten, the tumor had started to shrink, it was going down, we hear it's growing again. And I told Noel, Noah said, I'm still believing for a miracle. I said, yeah. So I texted her, I said, God's going to do it again. If he shrunk it once, he'll shrink it again. You don't shrink back, you don't quit, you don't give up. He'll shrink it again. Just go back doing what you were doing when he shrunk it the last time, he'll shrink it again. See, you have to be able to tend the seed that you planted. You just can't let that stinking tumor continue to grow and you watch it and be discouraged. You've got to charge at it again and defy it again to come down from its exalted place. We're not a one-shot wonder around here. We're not one time and then quit because the devil raises up again. You hit him. If he bowed the first time, he'll bow again. You can kill that stupid devil as many times as he raises his head up. And make him stay down the next time. So Paul was not willing to let that soul be stolen back from God. That's how faithful he was to his call. That's how ready he was to defend the gospel. He stayed ready. He didn't take no for an answer. He didn't shrug his shoulder when people decided they were going to quit serving God. He went after them with a zeal. You got me? Went after them to retrieve them and bring them back in. That's that's what it means to be ready, folks. You know what you've got to do, you know who you serve, you got to pounce on that thing that's trying to steal that soul back away. That soul belongs to God. It doesn't belong to the devil. The devil's always going to have an assignment to steal. So there Paul was was able to discern the sorcery, take authority, challenge it, defy it. He spoke what God told him to spoke. And then God brought the sign, the results. Paul's not running around striking people blind. God don't give us that power. But God's got that power. And if God decides to use it, so be it. It convinced that man to continue to serve God. I know one thing. I'd want to serve the stronger, the greater one. I'm not here to serve anything that's weak and any God that can't get the job done. You give your life for something you want to serve the jo- the God who can get the job done. In Acts chapter 16 we did 13 8 and 9 and 16 in verse 16 it says and it came to pass as we went to prayer. Now he's minding his business going on his assignment from God. A certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination. Here all the witches come out. Prophets and apostles show up the devil tries to bring out his big guns and he says possessed with the spirit of divination met us which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying she followed Paul and us and cried saying these men are the servants of the most high God which show us the way of salvation this she did many days see a true witness would would tell people what if they're saved, tell people what God did for them. False witnesses always broadcast in general terms. They have no personal testimony. This she did many days. Many days. Shows his readiness. The mother days he wasn't ready. This day he's ready today is your day, sweetheart. Being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas, drew them to the marketplace unto the rulers, and brought them to the magistrate saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. And teach customs. Well, they weren't even Jews anymore. So, you know, the Jews better take note. You know, when they're coming for them and they mention you along with them, they're coming for you next. Okay? And so he says... They do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe us being Romans, or we're pagans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging their jailer to keep them safely. Who having received such a charge, put them into the inner prison with solitary confinement and put there and fasten their feet see when you talk about a Roman jail we're not talking about this stuff you see on television you know and these prison shows that want to make you feel sorry for people who are breaking the law we're talking about show enough in jail chained down you can't move you can't do anything they mean to keep you locked up but at midnight Paul and Silas prayed And sang praises. Talking about being ready. Now they could have complained about the conditions. And they could have felt sorry for themselves and went woe is me. But it says here, verse 16, they started out going where? Ah, they started out on their way to prayer. And so when they got in jail, they said, "Well, this is probably the location for the prayer meeting. So why don't we just have our prayer meeting here?" You understand me? You always have that assignment, that readiness, that under- they don't live in this world. They don't live in the world of jails and chains, and they live in a different realm totally. You gotta live in a different realm totally. Altogether. You can't live in the realm of where you are in the natural and let that be your focus and let that be your world. You've got to live in a higher level. You've got to live in a place where you know God is very near. And if he's... It tends to feel distant you got to know how to pull yourself back into his presence and that's what they needed they need it wasn't because they were happy 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 it was because they wanted to touch God they sang praises and they also began to pray. And the prisoners heard him and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. Now listen, Paul's doing things by faith. God didn't just tell him, well listen, if you sing loud enough, you sing me enough songs, I'm going to shake that place. No, he was just doing what was in his heart to do. The result always comes from God. Just like with that sorcerer. He wasn't trying to make that man blind. He wasn't saying you go blind in Jesus name. He just took authority over that spirit because that man was wrong trying to steal a soul back from Christ and he had to stand up for that soul. He had just won and he challenged that spirit to release that soul the blindness came from God this earthquake came from God whenever you reach out to God he shows up with the kind of power you need to affect what it is that he wants you to do so he wanted them out of prison he wanted them other people out of too the Romans are notorious for throwing you in jail for nothing You got me? And so here we get all the prisoners out. The jailer gets saved. His family gets saved. Amen. And so this is Paul's readiness. He stands ready at all times to challenge the devil. He's not challenging people. He's challenging the devil. And he knows that the devil has no authority, no place, no purpose, no part in anything that he's doing. Once you're enlightened and you stay in the light, you know how to keep the devil on the edge of things. You don't respect him. You don't let him in. You don't make nice with him. You let him hit the road. That's what you want him to do. To go and leave your stuff alone. Acts 17. (coughs) Turn there. Let's see what we have there. (coughs) Verse 1. Now when they had passed from Amphipolis to Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, he's just doing his routine Doing his spiritual routine. He went into them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. So there he is back on the job again. Every place he goes, he has this readiness. The minute he steps off the ship, he's ready. To preach the gospel. He didn't have to go and and find somebody to give him an invitation. He's not looking for a recommendation for it. He's just following the Spirit. He says, I was sent by the Holy Ghost. You got me? When you're sent by the Holy Ghost, you don't need man to sanction it. You don't need man to to uh uh You or commend you or recommend you to anybody or open any doors for you the gospel is the open door that's always the open door and he talked about the things of God and gave them the history of Christ from that time and you see every place he goes he gets fruit. He knows in advance that there's fruit to be gained there. He's not wondering if they're going to receive Christ. He's not wondering how many souls he can save there. He's not wondering if the place is ready. He just by faith begins to share Christ. He stays ready all the time to share Christ with people. It's a wonderful thing folks to know who you are. On this earth to know who you are in this life. And to be ready at all times to share Christ. Look for opportunities. Look for them. Know that they're there. There's no difference between you and Paul. He was apostle yes. But you're an apostle in your area. Where God's assigned you to. You're the one with the word. The other people you can't depend on other people. To be there to, to do the preaching for you. You're the one with the word of God. You got the word of the Lord. Sometimes some of our challenges, people want to challenge us, uh, you know, in the workplace. You might get caught praying with somebody or sharing Christ with them, you know, and somebody in authority will say, oh, we don't do that around. Well, you know, I'm really sorry, but God has done so much for me and I felt like I could help that person. You know, if you get honest with people and you start, they'll start breaking down and they'll start seeing what you're doing for real and won't be so adamant against you. See, many times we recoil. We're not ready. We don't stay on that readiness thing where you can get that that push back and then the anointing in you bounces out again and rebounds and, and comes out with something where you know that that the greater one is going to win this challenge easy you don't go away defeated you don't go away without the goods you go fully understanding that there's some fruit here to get I'm here to get fruit and I'm going to make sure I stay here till that fruit gets produced as much as is in me is you got me I'm ready and and Give it your all. Give it 100%. And and a soul is at stake. It's not somebody's reputation or something like that. But there's a soul at stake here that needs to know the goodness of God. Needs to know the mercy of God. Needs to know the way. They don't know the way. There's so much confusion in the world now. I look at how Christians get all balled up and messed up. I say, what, do this, what hope is there for the sinner if the believer is is on the edge and compromising? What hope is there for the the, the pure gospel has got to be preached to people, folks. No compromise, no add to, no turning back. No shenanigans, no nonsense, just the straight-up word of God. That, that's what they need. Um, drop down to verse 16 in Acts 17. How's our time, Miss Juana? Where? Oh, for crying out loud, I didn't realize that. Well, why don't we stop? I don't want to do that, okay? Because no, cause it, it really, it's its too much to even make a difference for us. No, 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 no. All right, I'll do 17 verse 16. We'll finish this one. and then I'm sorry, I meant to ask you that a bit ago. See, when you're out there, it's just... Yes. I'm indebted, but time is no issue. Whatever. Now while Paul, here we go again with his readiness. Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, he got bored and said, I'm going home. No, he didn't. Since his spirit was stirred. You wait in anticipation of your assignment. Wait doesn't wear him out. You got me. There's such a difference when you when you have this right attitude that he had about. He says while he waited for them, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the whole city given over to idolatry. So the devil and his authority over people actually stirs him up to action. He ain't scared of them. He's not looking for a way to go home or you know just you know whatever whatever. Stirred. Therefore, he disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with them. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. Now that sounds like a real cheerful bunch, folks. (laughs) I mean, how can you live? And some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seems to be a setter forth of strange gods. Because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And of course they took him and brought him to Areopagus. That word means, it looks like it says air eater. Uh, Saying, I mean here's another, in other words a blowhard. Another one says, may we know what this new doctrine whereof you speak is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers that were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. So this was like the National Enquirer city. Yeah, what do you know? Because these port cities were always busy with people coming in, going out. What's what's new? What's Oh, what's going over there? You know, that's all they did. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For if I pass by and saw how you're worshiping, you got so many gods. You even, and if those aren't enough, you've got a plaque to the unknown God. In other words, we got as many of them named as we can. And if anybody shows up that we don't have a name for, you fit right here. You're the unknown God. Whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things there is seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth dwells not in temples made with hands neither is worship through men's hands so he tells them you got something there for an unknown God listen I know who he is oh really? tell-all, <laughs> God's wisdom will show you a way to reach everybody even the kookiest people how many of us would have passed by this group altogether? You know, I mean, period. They ain't interested in God. Let me, do, huh? But he found a way. See, his readiness always found a way for him to reach whomever it was, wherever. He had no lack of confidence that God had sent him and that he would equip him. He stayed ready. Stayed knowledgeable about the scriptures. Stayed praying in the Holy Ghost. When he we get somewhere and it's you know he's waiting on something, he just starts looking around to get a feel for what what the need is and what God would have him impart to people. He didn't have a he didn't have a dull day. He didn't have a boring day far from boring really exciting to be Paul I guess (laughs) better Paul than me but you know what I'm saying there was always there something for him to do it wasn't because he was an apostle this was true of all the believers folks it was said of all of them they turned the world upside down because of the leadership that they had you see what I'm saying when your leaders got that attitude it falls on the believers look at Stephen they said he was a, a deacon And he's turning the world upside down. He's got that same anointing that we want to kill you because of your impact anointing. You got me? And so trust me, folks. Uh, the devil's challenging, but I believe when, when we stay faithful to God, we'll have the greater power. We'll have to. There was nobody in that city that could withstand Paul. I don't care how much witchcraft they were in. He always had the greater power because God's not going to let us go down to the wiles of the witches and the devils. He's going to be with us when we stand up to challenge that kind of stuff. He's always going to be there with us. So we've got to stay ready. Know we're indebted. Stay ready. You got me? Praise God. Father, we thank you for what you're doing for us today, Lord. You're showing us our empowerment already. That if we're ready and we know who we are. And Father, I just ask you to help make this real to everybody this indebtedness, that impact to know that we must share Christ. There's a must share mandate on each and every one of us here. Make it real to us, Father. And we thank you and we bless you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. If you need prayer, come on.